Hello and welcome to BYU After Me Too. I'm Angela. Today we're talking about consent. While consent is a word I hear thrown around a lot in the conversations surrounding sexual assault, it is often misunderstood. I feel like it's important to define it before we dive into a conversation about it. I love Planned Parenthood's definition of consent. It's clear and concise. According to Planned Parenthood, consent means actively agreeing to be sexual with someone. Consent lets someone know that sex is wanted. Sexual activity without consent is rape or sexual assault. So there it is, cut and dry. If you want something sexual to happen, you're consenting. If you don't, it's not consent and it is sexual assault. Planned Parenthood also has an acronym, FRIES. Consent is freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. So now that we have a more basic idea of what consent is, my guest today is Melissa Lyons. She just graduated from BYU with a degree in editing and publishing. Since I was an editing minor at BYU, we had a few classes together. Even in classes like editing, where you wouldn't think social issues would come up, they somehow did. And whenever they came up, Melissa always had a well-thought-out, interesting, and thought-provoking comment to share. So I thought she'd be a great person to talk to about consent. Here's Melissa. So when you hear the word consent, like what comes to your mind? What does it mean to you? Consent is having autonomy over yourself and then giving something outside of yourself permission to do things that affect your own self. Yeah, I like that definition. I really like that you said that it's about autonomy. Like first you have to be self-possessed and then you can hand over, you can relinquish some of that control you have over yourself to someone else. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Um, So when you think back, can you remember like how you learned about consent? Um, Well, no one ever sat me down and said, Melissa, this is your body and you get to choose like what happens to it, Um, which is a conversation I wish had happened to me. Um, So I think it's more a conglomeration of my experiences, like the reading I've done and like own feelings I've had of like instinctually being like, oh, I don't want other people to make decisions for me. I want to do that for myself. And then being curious about that and figuring it out on my own. So there was no one moment when it like clicked for me. Oh, that this is consent. Mm-hmm. But rather like a mix of experiences. Right. And why do you think consent is Im- something that's important for people to understand? Um, <clears throat> because it's something that can affect like like daily life it is very much a part of like being social and I think I think understanding it is important because it can help us be as safe as we can be like in our social relationships so when everyone like in an interaction understands what consent is then everyone can get the most out of it and has the least, like, amount, like, least chance for harm. Right. 
Um, so could you talk a little bit about what consent in dating relationships might look like? So in committed, like, long-term relationships? Mm-hmm. It looks like checking in with your partner. Like, oh, are you, like, are you okay with doing this? How do you feel about this? So to not assume that consent is always, like, given and not assume that because, like, such and such activity is okay now that it is going to be, like, looking forward into the future or just because something's not okay now doesn't mean that it will never be. Um, it's a bit of a funny question for you to ask me because I've never been in a long-term like romantic relationship Um, but I I like it when my familial and uh, platonic relationships also include consent like oh hey do you actually feel okay like coming out with me do you have enough social energy for that and like oh, are you okay if I volunteer, like, this and this thing, like, about you to other people or things like that? The interesting thing about consent, I think, is that it affects so many other types of, like, social interactions and can play into a lot of other complicated systems that, are not necessarily like consent based. Does that make sense at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And that's those are aspects that I hadn't really thought of. That um, like when we think of consent in general, like written mm-hmm. consent or verbal consent of in like legal proceedings or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I think consent can absolutely play out in platonic and familial relationships. And um, and I think especially with some modern research that's coming out about um, how children should be taught consent, that when Mm -hmm. they're visiting a family member, that the grandma shouldn't just run up and hug the child, but say, do you want a hug or do you want a high five? Something like that. So Mm -hmm. I think that that there really are ways to learn consent and practice consent in contexts that are not sexual or romantic. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I think that's really interesting. So when we look at consent in the context of the Me Too movement and um, in the context of sexual assault prevention, how do you think consent can help with with preventing sexual assault? When consent is learned and normal for everybody just to ask for, then in romantic and sexual contexts that, like, may be ambiguous in terms of like what people both want then everyone involved will fall back on like trained behaviors of asking for consent so i think that in itself like will prevent like sexual assaults and things of in that vein from happening um so how can we bring discussions about consent to byu i think normalizing it in conversation is one of the best ways to do it just to make it like not weird to talk about like with my friends for example I'll say it's a, is it okay if I hug you like even if I've known them a long time I'll just make sure to ask because uh you never know like without asking and I think well sometimes I've talked to people at BYU who are like oh well you know asking someone before you kiss them just really kills the mood 
and I'm just like, well, you don't know if they want to kiss you or not. So, like, maybe it does, but then you can move forward. And if you know that both parties want to kiss each other, then I'm sure you can, like, figure it out afterwards. Right, yeah. (laughs) So just, well, I think, I don't think there are official policies that can be put in place because so much of consent is in just, like, one-on-one personal interactions. I think just making people like aware of what consent is and including consent just in any type of conversation like it doesn't have to be a topic of discussion but just incorporating like the ideas of consent into your interactions and then other people will notice and hopefully incorporate that into their own interactions as well yeah yeah and i i like the way that you've put this into like a social context because Mm -hmm. In one way or another, consent is going to affect each of our lives in different ways, whether for kissing someone the first time or asking a friend for a hug or anything like that. Um, So how do you feel these concepts should be implemented in a church setting? Like we have lessons on chastity and modesty and all of those things. Do you think we should be talking more about consent in church? I definitely do. Um... There's a lot to talk about with uh, church culture and and modesty. (laughs) But I think one of the things that modesty wants to get to is, like, protecting girls, I think, from the world in a way that, like, oh, like, if you conform to this set of standards, then, like, you can be safe and you can be okay. And so to make that more explicit when we talk about modesty, like, oh, we want to make sure that if you are in, like, a romantic or sexual situation, then what we want to make sure that, like, everything that you do is of your own volition and we want you to be consenting to it. Because, like, a lot of the rhetoric, rhetoric I get or I got from modesty discussions, like, when I was growing up in the church is, like, oh, you don't want to wear that outfit because, you know, the boys will see you and think bad thoughts about you. And I think there's an interesting discussion to be had there about this um, consent. Like, do you want people to be, like, thinking about you in ways that you haven't agreed to? But instead it becomes this, like, blame game of, like, oh, they're thinking bad thoughts, but it's your fault because you wore the clothes or, like, maybe it's their fault because... They were looking at you and it becomes a discussion of who's at fault rather than one of consent and of like, well, are both parties like engaged in this and is it an appropriate context and is it like conforming to what our religious standards um, like teach? So I definitely think it could and should be incorporated into young women's lessons, young men's lessons primary like just teaching people that their bodies are their own and that they get to decide what happens to them to their own bodies and I think that it doesn't have to be necessarily sexual yeah yeah those are a lot of really great ideas um and I I hadn't thought about that you know that narrative that we have around modesty of oh, if you wear this, then a boy is going to think these bad thoughts. I hadn't thought about that in the context of consent of being like, oh, well, 
like how does a girl feel that her body is just in some boy's brain and he's thinking these thoughts about her with without any consent from her of course um so i think that that's really interesting that that you brought that up as like no that's a violation of the woman's the girl's privacy to have a boy just thinking these things about her mm-hmm. um yeah so thanks for mentioning that um i'm going to kind of switch gears now into just the me too movement in general mm-hmm. at BYU so um, what impact, if any, do you feel that the Me Too movement has had on BYU campus? Well, there's the more, like, objective stuff, like Title IX and, like, policy changes that I think have been really positive in BYU and, like, the protections that they've placed on, like, sexual assault victims and things like that, which I see as really positive changes and maybe over time can lead to social changes within BYU. As for the Me Too movement in general, I think it's brought to mind, uh, or it's brought to a lot of people's attention, like issues of like rape culture and sexual assault and things like that, which I think is also really important just for people to know that it is like a problem um, and that it's legitimate and widespread. But in my own BYU relationships um I don't know how much it's really like impacted or if it if there's really been like that much social change because I think a lot of BYU's dating like problems specifically aren't rooted in sexual assault the way that or the same type of sexual assault that the Me Too, mi- Me Too movement is, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't see anyone like deliberately changing their behavior because of Me Too, but I have seen like protests and people talking about it and policy changes, which I all see as really like positive um, effects. Right. Um, so I'm going to ask you about something that, that you just mentioned, that sexual assault probably looks different on BYU campus than it does in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, am, am I right? In, in, okay. Yeah. So how does it look different here than it does at other universities or just other places in the country? Well, sex is something that is just really not talked about on campus or mentioned or even, uh, it, it's just taboo, like in any sense of it, talking about it, having it, (laughs) knowing what it is, like, it's very much kept beneath the surface. And so sexual assault becomes very tricky to talk about because sex in itself is tricky to talk about here. And I think a lot of rape culture issues in BYU don't necessarily end up in, like, quote-unquote, sexual assault but they do like lead into a lot of unhealthy behaviors and I've seen like power dynamics that are really um messed up and like the way gender is viewed on campus I think could use some help and like things like that so it expresses itself in 
other ways that are not necessarily like sex-based. Thanks, Melissa. I love that Melissa helped me think about these issues and these concepts in ways that I hadn't before. I think Melissa's view of the Me Too movement and consent here on campus just solidifies what she said, that sex is such a taboo topic that none of us really know how big a problem rape and other forms of sexual violence are at BYU. Next, we have a reading of a poem called Sticks and Stone. The poem is about consent with a twist on Greek mythology. Heather Harris-Bergevin is the author of the piece and will read the poem. Here's Heather. Snake and Stone Make no mistake, there can be no consent in a power dynamic between a mortal and a god. But there are loopholes in any curse, though it might have taken me a few extra years, men, to find them. But then those first few men, decades, I didn't really want to be touched by anyone, I thought, ever again. No questing, questioning hands touching my skin. No mistrusting, thrusting bodies. I turn all of them to stone now, not just certain parts. But years along, and patient practices lead to new discoveries. First, that my rattler visage, which turns them into stone, does not change, indeed, the women. And so my sisters can live again with me, harmonious, peaceful, protected from prying eyes, confused by brains, breasts, and beauty. The men, they do not come around anymore, apart the accidental experiments who came prior, knocking. My love, my gentle fawn, he curls around my soft and sloping beauty, nuzzles into my clever hibernaculum as we sleep. I don't mind his hairy legs or tail as long as he keeps them clean, but that would be the same for any male. My pets do kiss his hoary horns and curl gently around his beard. It is enough to be away from men, to live far from harm, and perhaps Athena did not grant a death, but life, a gift, to this broken girl monster. And I shall laugh full, surprised to see the confusion of men at my complete peace without their attentive gaze. Thanks, Heather, and thanks for listening. Next time, we'll hear another Me Too story from a former BYU student. Special thanks to Heather Harris-Bergevin for the poem and Abner Apsley for the original music. This is BYU After Me Too. I'm Angela. Angela.